we had units where all of the windows were broken. I think we replaced probably every stove, almost every refrigerator and every AC unit in all 20 units in our time there. Hello, fellow risk takers, and welcome to my worst investment ever. Stories of loss to keep you winning. In our community, we know that to win in investing, you must take risk, but to win big, you've got to reduce it. To join our community for free, go to myworstinvestmentever.com and receive the risk reduction checklist I've created from the lessons I've learned from all my guests. Also in the community, you get a super special podcast listener discount on my six-week valuation masterclass bootcamp. In the bootcamp, you learn how to value companies like a pro and advance your career in finance. Go to myworstinvestmentever.com to join our community for free. Fellow risk takers, this is your worst podcast host, Andrew Stotts from A. Stotts Academy. And I'm here with featured guests, Alex Gruyi and Asaf Ari. Alex and Asaf, are you guys ready to rock? Let's rock. All right. Let's do it. So I'm going to ask you guys just to give a little background about yourself so that the audience gets to know you. So maybe Alex, you want to start? Yeah, sure. First off, thank you for having us on the podcast. So my name, like you said, Alex Gurrier. I'm out of the Twin Cities here in Minnesota, Minneapolis, to be precise. I'm a simple Midwest boy and a real estate property management broker here in the Twin Cities. And we head on with uh, real estate investments, managing portfolios, et cetera, and all of the headaches that come along with it. So it's pretty much a little bit about me. Great. Pretty simple. (laughs) Asaf. Hey, Asaf Ari. I was born and raised in Israel. I moved to Minneapolis about 10 years ago, around 10, nine, nine years ago, I think now. Um, business, finance, and accounting major back in Israel. Moved here after serving in the military for three years, like uh, most of us do. 8,200 unit. I'm business-minded. I love trends. I love numbers. I love to understand a story from the number standpoint. I love risk analysis. And, you know, Alex and I basically partner in, uh, in Lionrock Properties, a management company, uh, right around nine years ago, 2012, when we started. And we had a lot of uh, stories since then to tell about real estate. <laughs> it's interesting. You know, all of my Israeli <laughs> friends are all entrepreneurs. Like very few of them that I've met are in corporate environments. So it's been kind of uh, fun. I've interviewed some different people on the show. So That'll be, I may mention that as we go through. Anyways, well, what we can do now is I'm going to ask you to share your worst investment ever. And since no one ever goes into their worst investment thinking it will be, tell us a bit about the circumstances leading up to it and tell us your story. Yeah, so so our story is a little different. This is going to be a story about a client of ours where we were brought in to manage the worst investment ever for them. <laughs> um, so, and, you know, I'll say it here, the spoiler alert, the end result, they made out very well. All right. So to go to the beginning of it, we had a before, group of before investors. I jump into oh, it, I would say, yeah. not just that they did well, but in the first closing, there was two buildings. I like to tell the story. In the first closing, I told one of them, I said, don't confuse your lack of making money with you making the right investment choice. <laughs> I was very blunt about that. So they don't get the confusion that, oh yeah, we're smart. Let's make another investment without talking to these guys first. Mm. So 
that's it was it was very they were very lucky uh, sorry for interrupting yes. alex no no it's a great point i'm glad you i'm glad you said that <laughs> so so as a group of gentlemen it is their first multifamily investment they had a couple single family homes before that and they were sold a two building portfolio in a less less desirable tougher side of town that is well known for its problems put it this way it's called the uh we call it the honey trap you know it's the ones where the investment on paper it looks it looks great it shows very well it shows a nice cap rate great return etc where in reality you know with high cap rate it's there's high crime you know you have very little cooperation from surrounding landlords and other property owners there which I'll chime in on some examples <laughs> through that and authorities but, too and authorities and, and too. authorities yep so these gentlemen purchased these two buildings i think it what was it it's 20 units total stuff right one 8 unit and one 12 yeah. unit 8 and 12 uh, and literally from day 1 of closing after from day 1 of meeting with us they were referred to us over by a larger lender that we work with so we thought you know we'd love to help them told us, met the gentleman and told us, you know, where the property was. And it took us, quite honestly, we had to think about it over the weekend. Ironically enough, this area is where I first had my first property. And I was at the time 20, 21 years old. So I learned a lot from this area and how to do things right and wrong. And obviously through the wrong ones, learn the right procedures to learn from in hindsight, right? So anyways, I was already pretty familiar with the area and knew, all right, I knew how it was with mine. Now these gentlemen are taking, you know, an investment of their own there and let alone their first multifamily investment. So let's, we got to think about this one. Well, obviously we decided to go with it and we're going to really be hands-on to help. Now with this, with this area, you know, again, it's, it's very, very hands-on literally of holding the hand all the way through daily. And that is, you know, you've got, you fix something in a hallway, for instance, a fire extinguisher, fire extinguishers would be set off in the hallway. We clean it up and the next day, same thing happened. Or there was homeless people sleeping in the hallways there. There was vehicles left deserted in the parking lots that just, someone just said, for whatever the reason, it doesn't run. Who knows the story behind it? But they were left for the owners, essentially, for us to, for the owner to tow out of there. At there, you know, it, it was a lot to deal with. I think we had what three or four vehicles like that. Saw. There was a time where somebody from a neighboring property threw something in the dumpster of one of these buildings that lit the dumpster on fire and ultimately burned down the row of garages of the adjacent property behind our property which was i, I think that. a row of 20 30 garages it literally all went up in a blaze because somebody threw something in our trash can to our property in our dumpster and it started this so you kind of get the picture of what i mean it's by only it. funny now andrew it wasn't funny yeah, back yeah. Then. yeah. <laughs> it wasn't funny then yeah was that did that so fire happen at night like you got a call in the middle of the night or was it the day it was during the day and luckily enough, I had, we had a maintenance guy over there doing maintenance. And he said, well, I'm stuck here in the parking lot with my work van because there's four or five fire trucks here because somebody decided to have a, a neighborhood cookout. 
<laughs> that was not planned. So yeah, luckily it was during the day, but either way, it's, I mean, it is a huge yeah, inconvenience. Sure. So, so now, you know, you kind of understand when I'm, you know, painting the picture here of the area and, and the headaches behind it, you know, so for us with them, it was again, right away from day one, how are we going to make this stable to get them to quite frankly, get them out of there already. Mm -hmm. Right. So with this comes, you know, you have, you have tenants not paying rent. The rent to start was very low. They were in the high 700s and market there. We brought it eventually up to over a thousand. All right. So you see the very, mm -hmm. very drastic difference. Typically what you're aiming for is to help is to have, you know, like a subsidy rental assistance renter in there that it helps assure that we have rent coming in through the programs of making sure that rent's coming in. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, so there's that these owners, when they purchased it, they didn't see every, they didn't even go into every unit, let alone, I think they maybe went into a couple. So, you know, in one of way its we, building, I think they've seen one we, of its building. Yeah. And for us, we like to be involved with the whole process all the way through, even before they close of, can you get us in to see it? We can do a quick walkthrough with you or when you're doing the inspection, you know, give our input on some things. We at least know the condition of the property can well prepare, you know, soft can come from his end as preparing a, you know, perform a budget in place. If we're going to do any value add attacking any of the common areas, let alone the units themselves, things like that. So that's kind of where it was, you know, for us, like a, all right, we're already, you know, a month behind where we should be normally in our process for this. So we had units where, you know, all of the windows were broken. I think we replaced probably every stove, almost every refrigerator and every AC unit in all 20 units in our time there. And this is not budgeted, right? This is not mm -hmm. like, okay, we're going to go in and here's a, here's a hundred grand to replace all these things. Right. It's not in the budget. And so that, means the, that means that the landowner is shocked every time you got to go to him and go, we need more money. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Doing this strictly all from the cash flow, if you will, for yep. what we can. Right. So, so that, that's the picture of it. So we got through units, we got them stable. I think we also, in addition, had some units empty. I think two of them empty to start with right off the bat, along with the, damage in those empty units as well. So filling them with the prospective, you know, appropriate tenant, the qualified tenant, whereas, you know, you had the seller beforehand, at least from our end and reviewing of the, the tenant's files, the resident, the current resident's files that, you know, there wasn't proper background checks. There was move-ins maybe for an exchange for, you know, you move, give me $500 cash, you move in, great, you know. Yep. Unfortunately, sometimes you see it where people will sell a property and they fill it right beforehand. Not often, but there are some that they try and fill it right before a sale. So it's on paper, it's filled, it's great, right? And then you realize after from a buyer's standpoint, oh, these people weren't quite, you know, they didn't do a proper background check. There's, you know, problem one thing after another with it. So, so we had all that on top of it. You know, I think from there we decided, all right, we got to have a game plan here with them to lay out a budget for what we can now with we're already behind not having a budget and how are we going to get these units up to snuff to be the code even get the rental license up to where it be because in Minneapolis we're based on a tier system here tier one is the best tier two is mid and tier three is not where you want to be 
That one, I believe, Asaf, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure we started from the bottom there on tier three and worked it up to a tier one, I believe on both properties, with the amount of work we had to do. So remember the list from the city? Yeah, the list from the city was before from the sellers having to take care of things that were not done. And if I'm not mistaken, the list was that thick. It was like 14 pages, 14 pages of citations that was never even disclosed through the underwriting process or you know, quite frankly, asked for by the, yeah. by the buyers. Yeah. So, yeah. So, and it, was there, was there ever a point where you were starting to worry whether you could actually turn this around or did you always feel like we can do this? I think for us, you know, we always have the, we like the challenge, right? We have that mentality always. Yep. We, we like the challenge. I think we've grown our business space uh, at least on one, you know, that being part of it, not fully, but that is part of it. I don't necessarily ever thought of like a give up mentality, but it was uh, definitely a stressful, all right, how are we going to make this work? I mean, it went down to, we were very efficient with our maintenance to do as much as we can in a day. If it was, you know, many units for work order requests, you know, we attacked high utility bills from high water bills, which for us, again, that's on the front end of our process of reviewing looking at the units, reviewing the due diligence from a utility bill standpoint prior, we're pretty good at saying, all right, inefficiencies, this seems off, this seems really high, you know, so going through no leaks in there, getting efficient, you know, toilet stoppers, the, the, the fill valve in them, something mm -hmm. as simple as that. I mean, you can have a water bill that ends up being three, four, five times what it normally should. And on an investment that completely throws your return for the year out the window, right? And discovering um, where that is, is probably a challenge. It is, it is, it always is. And we have our methods of attack there. You know, we work with the residents closely for the typical, you know, for instance, like the water, running sinks, dripping faucets, leaking shower heads, running toilets. Those are always the common culprits, right? And I think we got it down to a pretty good system. And this probably at the time was one that really helped us critique our system right reinvented lean management on those properties mm. yes reinvented yes. the word lean on those yes and i'll tell you i'll i'll chime in here we never give here's we understand real estate and we knew from day one we're going to get it stable we're going to bring mainly subsidy people and subsidies in there it's right by the airport so airplanes are flying right above your head it's not an attractive area it used to be a what is it for soldiers? Uh, Our, um, army bunkers. Okay. It used to be yeah. army bunkers that was converted to apartments. It's right by the airport. It's not an attractive area. It's people that have bad credit, bad backgrounds. Typically, that's where they end up living. We decided, okay, this, we have to accept that. You know, we're, mm. our criteria were dropped from here to here, from like our normal criteria to even allow. And otherwise, nobody would have, it was, would have been stand vacant, right? We knew that we we're going to do that. We we're going to bring the people and subsidies that need an opportunity coming from homeless shelters. We started working with certain programs. They get them in. They sponsor their rent. Well, we knew we we're going to be able to get the 700s into the 1,000, 1100s on some of those two bedrooms. And we'll sell it. We'll, we'll recommend them to sell it to somebody else. So that's going to be their starter property. But you know what? They're going to start off from, from a better starting point from where yep. they were, right? Because it's going to be a stable property that, we didn't want to stay there, but we knew somebody else knowing where they're coming in, start a property, get it for cheap, they can cash flow, and then turn it around to somebody else like them and, and get the heck out of there, right? 
But our fear was that the owners, the buyers will give up. Mm. And if they would have given up and sell too early, that would have been the worst investment ever in real estate. Mm. That was the fear. Our fear was that the buyers, the owners would give up and not want to follow the plan that we knew at the end will get them money and we'll get them good money. But that was the fear. So the fear was and, not less on us, more on them. And can you recall a conversation that you had with the owners, <clears throat> which was the point where you were really afraid that they may give up? Multiple uh, with Henry. Uh, I yeah. don't know if we can say names here. <laughs> Multiple. We met with him in person a few times and I felt he's like, what is going on? It's out of control. All the expenses. How is it happening? A lot of expenses are on our credit card. And we right. don't know how we're going to get paid back. Those are tough conversations. Of, yeah. Right. Very tough conversations. Mm-hmm. Right. So and we had months of management where, you know, we held our bill essentially to make sure that property can keep afloat and get where it needs to be mm-hmm. well coming out of, you know, this hole. Mm-hmm. Just to, to really understand, when we knew the property is for sale, we knew the money going to come in. And we knew we had to go in and do a push to really get the units look nice. And it was upwards of 25 grand of closing that we got for mm. our back bills right. to make that happen. Right. So then you guys were out also in the sense that you were extending kind of credit to, mm-hmm. to the owner. So tell us, how did, right. it, how did it end up? Well, so the the one the twelve units we sold for them two years ago, Asaf, almost. Yeah, right um, around two years ago. Yeah, and they made out very well on that one. And the I don't know if I want to say amounts, Asaf, you know that better than I do. Not necessary, but just okay. All right, but they they made out very well with that one. They're they doubled, they're the doubled other... their money. They're doubled their money. Yeah, Great. yeah, yep. they doubled their money. They doubled their money. <laughs> And then from there, they still had the eight unit because by that time we were, we were stable on that one to keep it going and turn it around. Um, it was kind of the, the better of the two, if you will. Yep. And ironically enough, Andrew, we actually just closed and sold that one on Friday. <laughs> so <laughs> this whole, this whole uh, fun trip just came to a, to an end on this portfolio for them literally on Friday. Um, And again, they made out very well, double of the money. Mm. We turned something that from literally from day one of my worst nightmare. (laughs) So how would you describe the lessons that you learned from this experience? Well, I would say in real estate, proper due diligence for starters, cannot stress that enough, have the proper team, especially when it's, going into your first. And it's not that they didn't come for help. I think they came for help maybe a little later than, than planned or should have, if you will. You know, for us, it's right away from day one in early on in the, in the purchase side of things, which we like to do with all of our clients. And this was, again, kind of a benchmark for us on it was we want to be involved, whether that's representing you to, to purchase the real estate, because some of them we do. This one in particular, they, I believe they had a friend that was the realtor or a colleague was referred over their realtor for them. So help them through. So we weren't involved early on with this one, 
of all the due diligence phase, the inspection phase, looking at all of the leases in place, all of that. So again, so getting back to you, it's it's Background checks. having having the full proper due diligence on the front end, the planning, right? The planning yep. going into it, going into it on the right the right foot with the plan. Yep. And it makes absolute sense. From their so, standpoint, is let's say they don't have the experience, get somebody with experience, right? Right. Know the area you're going into. That area is known to be probably the worst area in Minneapolis, mm. right? You know, have some areas have bad pockets. That's known to be one of the worst. Yep. Very unattractive because they're airplane traffic. Very unattractive because those are what do you call silos, <laughs> military silos. Mm. I mean, that they're very industrialized units. Right. That was converted to apartments. And then know the underwriting. You know, there's you know, real estate is very popular these days. And underwriting is as good as you know how to underwrite, right? I can make, you know, I've, I'm an accountant. I did auditing for four or five years. I've seen small businesses, big businesses, successful businesses, fellow businesses. I can I can sketch whatever I want in a performer. Mm. The key is to actually make something that works, right? Know the nuances of the investment, know how it works, know how it operates, know the drivers, know the opportunities in the area, in the market, know the risks, right? There is money to be made in, in, in this kind of territories, but it requires a certain talent that they didn't have. And we were offered management in neighboring units, I don't know how many times, because we were the nicest buildings in the area. Right. And we said, no, no, thank you. You know, yeah. we kind of did them, you know, it's business. We got paid. I don't want to say we did it in favor, but we're like, okay, we need to help these guys upgrade mm. yep. and get out of this neighborhood because they're good guys that kind of get stuck there, right? Mm. Yep. So it's do your underwriting, understand the risks. In real estate, if you don't know the area, drive by. Be there in the morning, be there in the afternoon, be there in the evening, see what's going on. There's drive-by shootings there on a weekly basis. Mm. And we're concerned at times for our staff. Yep. We're concerned for our staff at times. I mean, this is not just a level of risk of losing money. There's like potential losing risk. I mean, yeah. Um, windows with bullet holes in them in our in those properties. I mean, that's, that happened multiple times, right? Yep. Shooting in, in the building. Yep. So yep. those things that, you know, you open a crime map and you know it's right there. Right there. Now, yeah. You know, you go on a main street that you have stores and all that. Okay, there's a little bit more crime because the store, it's a main street. There's, there's nothing there. I mean, the crime is high because it's a high crime neighborhood. Yep, yep. Those are the big red lights, right? So it seems like none of that was done mm -hmm. for that particular purchase. So let, maybe I'll summarize, you know, what I take away. One of the things that after interviewing many, many people, I've come up with kind of what are the six common mistakes that people make in the top Number one, most common mistake is failed to do their research. And right. here is a great example. I also point to episode 83. I interviewed a man named Josiah Smelzer, and he was also property. And that story is funny and terrifying. But the point is, so many people seem to go into these things without doing their research. And it doesn't mean, I mean, you've demonstrated that it doesn't matter what the investment is. You could make money out of almost anything, but mm -hmm. the point is, is that you've got to do your research to know. And I think about, you know, if I was, if I was using my money, I would even say, go stay in the apartment for a week, see what you find <laughs> out. You know, there's just so much 
you know, you don't want to overdo it, but doing your due diligence on any investment is critical. And so that's the first thing that I take away. The second thing is, you know, why are some real estate companies huge? It's because they've built internal expertise at how to look at the properties that they're buying. They built their internal checklist. They built their internal system because they've been burnt many times. And every time that they've been burnt, they're building that expertise. But if you are someone that is buying property and you don't have all that wealth of experience, my goodness, go to guys like you. And you know the, the worst case is just go and meet people like you and talk about it. And I suspect that if somebody went to you today, said, I have this property, and I'm thinking about hiring someone like you guys to help me, I'm talking to a couple, could we sit down for a little bit of time to talk? Even just mm-hmm. that time sitting down would bring you a lot of value if you were a real estate owner. But most importantly, what you're going to realize is that that experience is super, super valuable because if you do that before you buy the property, then you can put into the valuation of the property these type of elements that you may not have expected. And then that way you're also paying the right price because I say anything can be a good investment. It just depends on what you buy it for and what eventually you're able to sell it for. So those are some of the takeaways. Anything you would add to that? Well, you're, you're spot on. In real estate particular is, is go to the area, spend <clears throat> some time, go different times of the day, see what it is. Talk to the neighbors, talk to yeah. people. Inspect mm-hmm. every unit when you buy real estate. Never skip. Even if one unit, we just, we're closing on the building next week and you know, there's one unit that was trouble getting in. Like, nope, we're getting in there before closing. Otherwise, there's no closing. We, there's no more skipping on units, right? We're, we get every unit, see everything with your own eyes, chat with the people, talk to them. A lot of it in real estate is that is you'll see a lot of the problems. When we started to, to manage those buildings is we realized a lot of things we could have seen before the closing. There was a water issue in one of the units that was kind of patched right before closing. Going into that unit, talking to those people, they would, they would, they told us everything that happened, and they, they didn't even know. They thought we we're the same company. They were like, you know, you guys told us we'd come back, and like we told you what? Every <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so number eight. No. The point from that too is that due diligence doesn't have to be brutal and hard and all that. It's right. about observing. It's about asking questions, and it's about right. knowing the questions to ask. So I think that's right. uh, that's probably as. Yep, talk to them. The residents are very chatty. They love yeah. to talk. And you ask them, hey, what do you what do you like about this? And they'll yeah. tell you and say, What's you know, what would you do better? And they'll oh, and they will tell you everything oh. they will do better. They will give you a chair. Everything. Yeah. <laughs> so that's so here's so, a beer. <laughs> so I want to address this to property buyers, people that are out there buying properties. What one action would you recommend that they take to avoid suffering this fate? Talk to a property manager. Talk to your broker and your real estate agent. They're supposed to have your best interest, but they get a really nice check when when you close, right? So they're very motivated by the dollar amount. Talk to a seasoned property manager. They'll get you a lot of insight on the market. A because lot of prop- insight. They'll property, know. Manager, property manager is not getting paid for the transaction. They're getting paid for taking care of that over right. time after. If, so know the motivations right. behind the different people. If, right. if Andrew chose us as your property managers, right? If you chose us as your property managers, we're interested in getting you to the property that's going to succeed for you. 
because we're getting paid on an ongoing basis from that property. And we want to see that growing. We want to see you, you know, expanding from there and want to do more. If we only get paid once on a transaction like this, you know, we're like, I don't know, I got some bills to pay. Here's a property, you know, we can close next month, right? I'm not saying that all agents are like this. I'm not saying that yep, all yep. agents are like this. But the motivation of property manager is to work with you for a while and the property they'll enjoy managing that will do well for you, that they know they can cut you your distribution checks on monthly, quarterly, semi-annually basis, however you want it. Yep. And that will work. So talk to a manager. If you're in the real estate field, talk to a seasoned property manager that has properties around and knows the town and have some reputation, you know, mm. have some positive Great. reputation out there. All right. Last question. What's your number one goal for the next 12 months? Well, I think for me, for the year that we've all had and still kind of continuing to have as obviously stay healthy, keep positive every day and, I, I think just continuing on the path of wanting to help people, wanting to help the investor on their purchase, managing all the way through and taking care of that and being able to be better than I was yesterday and take something in new every day from that, from the experience, whether it be the worst one or the best mm -hmm. one mm -hmm. and to continue growth from there, from both a personal side and a business side. Great. And Asaf? You know, my, my mentality is, you know, 1% improvement daily, right? Always, always improve a little bit, always refine a little bit, get burned, make mistakes, learn from them. You're spot on. I love how you said it. You know, you, you know, those larger companies that got burned so many times, they know the boundaries, you know, whether they can see them or not, they know where they're at. And I'm a big believer. You just earlier today, I was talking to somebody about that. I said, mistakes going to be happening and you cannot avoid them. And what you got to do is know there's a problem, address the problem, fix it, and don't repeat that. That's how you get better. So continue to improve, continue to deliver good properties for our residents, right? good returns to our owners, and hopefully health for everybody. That's mm -hmm. uh, one of the yep. number one things now in the world. Yep. Well, listeners, there you have it. Another story of loss to keep you winning. And for both of you guys, I, I you know, like to say that when people come on this show, you know, many people that I ask to come on the show say, no, thanks. People don't like to talk about their worst experiences, their worst investments. But what I would argue is that for the listeners out there, whether that's in the Twin Cities area or any other area around the U.S. or around the world, reach out to these guys. They show that they understand and they've been through it and they've learned from that and that's the kind of person i want to work with and that's the type of person that we have on this show we build trust and understanding between all of us as we build this community my number one goal for the next 12 months is to help you my listener reduce risks and increase return in your life to achieve this i've created our community at myworstinvestmentever.com and when you join you'll get that special discount to my six-week valuation masterclass boot camp. As we conclude, Alex and Asaf, I want to thank you again for coming on the show. And on behalf of A. Stotts Academy, I hereby award you alumni status for turning your worst investment ever into your best teaching moment. Do you have any parting words for the audience? Like you said, keep it positive, see all the way through. And, and Andrew, thank you for having us on. Andrew, thank you. And, you know, your worst experiences are going to be your best, funniest jokes 10, 15 years later. So take it easy. 
when they happen, you know, be serious about them, fix it, but know that it's going to make such a, such a great story 10 years from now, like the row of garages burning down the street. So. Exactly. And they're going to fit onto that improving 1% every day into that list every and improving day. what you're doing. And that's a wrap on another great story to help us create, grow, and protect our well fellow risk takers. This is your worst podcast host, Andrew Stott, saying, I'll see you on the upside.